Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, good to see you guys. Uh, it's great to be back here. Was up in Quakertown last week. It's always, always good to be back home in Pennsburg. It's a much shorter drive for me, which is nice as well, uh, because I'm not, anybody not a morning person? You can admit it. It's all right. We participate. If you're not, if you're not, you know, if you're new here, we participate. We can raise our hands and admit that we're not morning people. If you are a morning person, I'm. I'm I hate you, actually. Uh, <laughs> I hate the fact that you can get up that early and enjoy life and be productive. But. Um, I don't really hate you, but anyway, man, it's so good to be here with you guys today as we start a brand new sermon series. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different, just going to say that uh, from the front here. Uh, a lot of times, if you've been here before when we preach, we like to go through, uh, you know, we, we like to mix it up. So there's times where we do topical sermon series like we just came out of, different things like that. Uh, and then there's also times where we like to take a larger period of time and go through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, theme by theme, and really kind of explore it and dig in. And so if you're new, that's what we're gonna be doing for the next 12 or so weeks. We're going to be digging into this book of the Bible called Ephesians, and our sermon series with this is called We Are the Church. And so again, this morning is going to be a little bit different than normal. If you're here normally, uh, on, a, on a normal Sunday morning, we like to maybe give you a couple different application points, right? Like three points or so, sometimes you know four or five if we're feeling extra frisky, right? We'll give a bunch of points and then we'll give some application and some challenge and that's kind of what a normal Sunday would look like. Today uh, is gonna be a little bit less preaching and a little bit more uh, teaching. We're gonna kind of break down and explore the book of Ephesians and the context and, and, and so what I wanna do today is I really wanna kind of set the stage for the rest of the sermon series. I want to kind of lay the foundation that we're going to continue to build off of every single week throughout the rest of this sermon series. And so we're going to dig in this morning into the, the context and the culture of Ephesians, the history of the church, uh, and also some of the culture that was taking place when this letter to the church of Ephesians was written. And, and my goal today is that you would leave here uh, with a better understanding of the context and the culture around when this letter was written so that every single week when we kind of take verse by verse, part by part, and we break it down, you'll be better equipped to understand and to be challenged and to grow through it, all right? So we all, we're good with that? We're on the same page today? All right. Um, now, many scholars believe that this epistle, which is another word for letter, the epistle to the Ephesians, uh, was, was one of the most important and theological uh, books that the apostle Paul wrote. In fact, people refer to it oftentimes as the queen of the epistles, which is just a, a cool title. Other than the book of Romans, the, the book of Ephesians is probably the most theologically profound books that the apostle Paul ever wrote. Uh, a great pastor named Charles Spurgeon, he he said this about the book of Ephesians. He said, the epistle to the Ephesians is a complete body of divinity. In the first chapter, you have the doctrines of the gospel. In the next, you have the experience of the Christians. And before the epistle is finished, you have the precepts for the entire Christian faith. Uh, whosoever would see Christianity in one treatise, let him read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. In other words, it's really, really important. It's a really, really important book. So let me just ask you a couple questions as we begin this morning. And again, we're gonna participate. And so if this applies to you, I want you to raise your hand, say amen, do something, make some noise, laugh, whatever. Uh, how many of you would say you have a desire to have a stronger foundation in your walk with the Lord or a, a, a more deep relationship with God? How many of you would say that? 
You, you, it's not like you don't have a good relationship, but you, you, rather, you wanna build on a stronger foundation. You wanna have a deeper relationship with God. The book of Ephesians talks about that. The book of Ephesians, we're gonna cover that. How many of you have ever felt in your life at times like you were unworthy of the grace of God, you were unworthy of the gospel of God, but you still wanted to experience his power in your life? The book of Ephesians is gonna talk about that. How many of you have ever thought about what it means to be in Christ? Like, what does it mean for you if you're a follower of Christ? What does that mean for you as your identity? What does that mean for you from a positional standpoint that you are in Christ? We're gonna talk about that throughout this series. How many of you have ever thought about the fact that if you're a Christian, you're a part of something that is so much bigger than yourself? You're a part of something called the church, which has been going on for thousands of years, so much bigger than yourself, not just our church here, but the church as a whole. You're a part of something and how many of you, as part of that, that bigger picture, you've yearned to see unity like the Bible talks about and the power that you see in the church, in the church, uh, in, in Bible times that, that was manifested, that God did incredible things through this body of believers. And you've thought, man, I want something like that. I wanna be a part of something like that. The book of Ephesians talks about that. How many of you would say in your life, you've had a desire to, to live a victorious Christian life? You've wanted to know how you can be victorious against the temptations and the trials that, come on, we all experience. How many of you have been through some temptations and trial in your walk with the Lord? And you've said, man, I wanna be victorious. I wanna be equipped. I wanna know how to live my faith in the everyday, not just on Sundays when we come to church, but I wanna understand how to, to walk out my faith in the day-to-day -day of my life. The book of Ephesians explores that, and we're gonna talk about that over this week. And here's what I wanna do. I, I wanna challenge you to be committed to be as consistent as possible over these next 12 weeks. I understand some of you may have vacations planned or other things planned, but I wanna, I wanna challenge you and encourage you to be here as consistently as possible over these next 12, 13 weeks or so. Uh, some of you, consistent to church means like once a month. That's America. Like that's, I, I'm, I'm committed to this church. I come once a month. I wanna encourage you to, to take your level of consistency up a few notches and be here as much as possible. And if you can't be here on a Sunday, download the app or go on our YouTube page and, and watch the sermons. You can watch from both campuses because we often kind of hit on a little bit of different things, but, but watch it and, and, and digest it. I wanna encourage you, the book of Ephesians, six chapters. You could probably read it in 20 minutes straight if you just sit there and read it. Some of you may be less, some of you would take a little bit more. But I would just encourage you over these next 13 weeks to read the book of Ephesians over and over again. Break it down verse by verse, memorize scripture, digest it, highlight, underline, whatever you need to do to digest this book, to, to really immerse yourself in this, this book of the Bible because I believe if you do this, if you're consistent, if you take the time to really dig it, then this, these next 12 weeks have the, have the potential to incredibly impact your life, to have an incredible impact on your spiritual life and to do some incredible and life-changing things. And so I'm gonna dig right in this morning. And what I wanna do as we begin is I wanna start by talking about the city of Ephesus, right, where this letter was, was written to this group of people and the church and how the church was started there. And so we're gonna have some pictures on the screens like that. You might not be able to see them really well, but hopefully it will give you a little bit of idea. So the first picture I wanna put up is just to kind of give you an idea where Ephesus was located. That is a present day, Turkey, okay, it's on the, 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 the western side of present day Turkey. And during the time of the writing of Ephesians, uh, 
uh, Ephesus was a very strategic kind of commercial center of this area. It was considered Asia Minor was the area and what it was called at that time. It was uh, also the Roman capital of Asia Minor. So Rome, the Roman Empire had spread. It was all over the place. And Ephesus was the capital in that area for them. It was a city that had close to uh, 300,000 people living there at the time. And so uh, that's a pretty big city. It was one of the bigger cities in the, the world at the, at the time. And the word Ephesus, it, it means desirable. And this was in many ways, a very desirable place to live. It was a place that had a lot of money. It was a place where there was a, a lot of wealth. There was um, a harbor at this area that, that was uh, connected to this river called the Caister River, which is part of the Aegean Sea. Um, now, if you look at it today, it doesn't even look like it's close to the sea because that, that's, that river has kind of dried up and pushed out. But at the time, they would constantly clear it out. They would do silting, I think is the word, and they would clear it out so that they could have this port. It was a major seaport at the time. And because it was a major seaport, that meant there was a ton of trade, a ton of business. It was a major uh, port that, that had many roads leading out from that city to all these other major cities throughout Asia Minor. And so it was a, a strategic and important city. And today, Ephesus has had many excavations, uh, has had, had many excavations that have been done at this city that now a bunch of it is still buried. I think it was about 70% of it is still, is still buried, but they've excavated some of the city and some of the, the architecture and things that were around then have been uncovered and you can see it today. In fact, Ephesus is, is, is considered to be like a, a big open air museum at this time. It's a, it's a huge tourist attraction. Over a million people visit Ephesus every year to see some of these structures that have been preserved over the time. One of those is this theater of Ephesus. I'll put a picture up. Uh, this was a theater that, was, um, 20, that could seat 25,000 people which if you think about that, that's pretty incredible at the time. It was kind of built into the side of a mountain. And as you see there, it kind of looked down that road. That road there led out to the harbor into the port. And so when you were sitting up there, you'd be looking down the, the big marble road that led out to the port. There'd be people coming in and out from there. 25,000 people could fit into that port, um, It was a, a, or into that theater. It was an amazing theater, a big, huge theater at that time. Uh, another thing that's still preserved that you can see there is this Library of Celsus, um, which is, this uh, third, was the third largest library at that time. They said that as many as 12,000 papyrus rolls of, of, of literature were housed in that library. And as you can see, it's still pretty preserved. You can still see a lot of the architecture today. And then there was another thing in that city. Ephesus was, was not only this major port and a place where there was a lot of wealth, but it was also a very big religious hub. There was many different uh, gods, Roman gods, Greek gods that were worshiped. In fact, some people believe up to 50 different gods were, were worshiped in this city. There was altars to different gods. There was all different kinds of, 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 of worship that took place in this city. And one of them, one of the main ones, there's not much left of this, the ruins from this one, but one of the main ones was there was a temple there at the time that was considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis. How many of you ever heard of the Temple of Artemis? Or another word was the Temple of Diana, right? They were the, the Diana was the, uh, the, the, the Roman word for that goddess, and Artemis was the Greek word, but it was the same temple, and it was a very uh, important temple in this city. It made there uh, be a lot, a lot of religious tourists and people who would come to this city, and because of that temple, there was a lot of uh, a business and, uh, that, that took place from that. There was people like silversmiths who would make artifacts to this, to this goddess 
that were a big part of the business and the industry because of all these people that would come to worship at this, this temple. And so we have to understand that this was a, an important city at the time. It was a massive city at the time. It was a wealthy city. It was a city that was a huge hub for, for travel and trade all throughout Asia Minor. And it was a city that we can see where there was a lot of false worship to false gods. It was a city where there was a lot of things like witchcraft and, and sorcery and magic and other things like that. And it's a city that we're going to see as we explore the book of Ephesians that, that God used to, to start a major revival in. Like he did a, a major work in this city that spread out all throughout Asia Minor, planting churches everywhere, and God moved and many people came to know Christ through the work that was done at this city. So how did the church get established? How did the church start in Ephesus? Well, if you have time this week, I want you to write this down. Write down Acts 18 through 20. Um, that's what I want you to read today because Acts 18 through, this week, because Acts 18 through 20 talks all about the beginning of this church in Ephesus, how it was started. We're gonna hit on a couple different things, but it really explains the beginning of this church and how God uh, began his work there. The apostle Paul, uh, if you didn't know this, he went on three missionary journeys to kind of spread the gospel throughout the world at that time. Uh, on his first missionary journey, he didn't really go as far, but on his second missionary journey, on the way back towards the end of it, I believe around 53 AD was when he stopped in Ephesus, and that's when many people believe that the, the church of Ephesus began. In Acts chapter 18, it says this, after staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. He shaved his head at Sentia because of a vow he had taken. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer for a longer period of time, he declined, but he said farewell and added, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. And so we don't hear much at this moment. We don't hear much about what took place at this, this time, other than the fact that Paul arrived with this, this husband and wife team, Priscilla and Aquila, which is pretty awesome. If you marry somebody, your name rhymes. It really sounds cool, right? And if you did that, that's awesome. Congratulations. But he leaves this, this husband and wife team there as part of the city. He goes into the synagogue and does what he often did. He would preach. He would kind of argue in some ways with the Jewish people and try to persuade them of the gospel. And we don't know a lot of what took place at the time, but we can assume that there was some lives that were changed. There were some converts. And so Paul leaves this couple that were church leaders, Priscilla and Aquila. He leaves them there in the city so that they can continue to work with these new believers and continue to kind of hold down the fort for that time, so to speak. And he leaves with the intention of coming back at some point in the future. It says in Acts 19, a little bit later, that somebody showed up on the scene named Apollos. And this guy named Apollos, he was a Jew. It said, now a Jew named Apollos, who was a native Alexandrian, he was an eloquent man who was competent in the use of scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he became fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Afterwards, Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and they explained the way of God to him more accurately. 
When he wanted to cross over to Achia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And after he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through scripture that Jesus is the Messiah. And so again, this guy shows up after Paul has left. Priscilla and Aquila are there overseeing the church. And, and the Bible says he is a gifted communicator, right? He speaks eloquently. He's a gifted communicator. And, he, and he's knowledgeable about the, the word of God. He's been taught the ways of God. Although he doesn't know everything, he doesn't fully understand the baptisms. He understands the baptism of John, which was for repentance. But then Jesus instituted a new baptism where you could be forgiven for your sins and be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they, they, they see this man and the potential he has as a church leader, his ability to present the gospel, but they also want to disciple him a little bit. And so they pull him aside. They began to share with him a little bit more truth. They disciple him and then they send him off to another church and, and he's of good use and, and God begins to use him in that church as well. Now, a year or so after Paul left Ephesus, after 53, after he left there the first time, he does what he promises to do or what he hoped to do. He shows up again. This was on his third missionary journey. He shows up towards the beginning of that journey to Ephesus, and he actually stays there for around two to three years or so. Of all the churches you read about Paul spending time in all throughout the Bible, all the letters, the epistles, all of those things, the one he spent the most time in more than any of those other ones was the church in Ephesus. For two, or three, two to three years, he stayed there preaching and building this church, growing this church, shepherding this, this church. In Acts 19, it says, Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way, which was what they called the Christians at that time, in front of the crowds, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples, those who had been converted, uh, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And listen, this went on for two years so that all of the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Over a two year, I want, I want you to think about that for a second. Over a two year period of time as he preached and people became followers of Christ, the word of God spread from that area. All over Asia Minor, Jews, Greeks, everybody was hearing about the gospel. There was people turning to Christ. Revival was taking place and it was all spreading from this, this city of Ephesus. It goes on to talk about, after it talks about that, it goes on to talk about how, how Paul, God was moving in him in such miraculous ways that that when he would wear an apron or, or some clothes or something like that, that, that people would take that apron or that clothes that Paul was wearing and they would bring it to their friends and family who were sick or who were possessed by demons. And when they would touch that apron, the power of God was so strong in working through Paul's life at the time that even when they touched the apron, they would be healed. When they touched the aprons at times, the demons would, 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 would flee from their family members. They would be delivered. It was amazing what God was doing. And other people took note. Like I said before, there was lots of people in that, in that city that practiced sorcery and witchcraft and, and magic. And so some of these people, they thought, we're going to give this a try as well. You can read about it. It's a crazy story. We're going to give this a try. And so they found some guy who was possessed by a demon. And they went up to him and they say, in the name of Jesus and in the name of Paul, we rebuke you. Get out. And the demon through the person responds, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. And in that moment that says this man, he overtook these seven guys who were trying to cast out the demon. He stripped them naked and sent them away from the house in shame. It was this big, big deal. And the crazy thing was 
God's power was in this moment. God's power was moving in Ephesus. Lives were being, being changed. They were experiencing legitimate revival that it, it says that, that all of these people who had practiced magic and sorcery and all this other stuff brought their, their books and they had a public burning of their books as they turned away from their magic, turned away from their false gods and turned to Jesus. And the Bible says that the amount of books that were burned, these magic books that were burned was worth over 50,000 pieces of silver. It was an amazing moment, amazing thing that, that God was doing in the city, but not everybody was happy about it. Not everybody was happy the way that, that God was moving. In fact, we read about this major riot that took place because of what was taking place with the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, it says this. It says, about that time, there was a major disturbance about the way for a person named Demetrius, who was a silversmith, who had made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business to the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see in here, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. Not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin. And they... Uh, and the very one all of Asia and the world worship. In other words, they're saying, Paul, he's not good for business. Like, like this preaching of the gospel was not good for business. See, in that society, you could worship many gods. They didn't care. Like you could worship all different gods as long as you continued to worship their gods. But as soon as you said, hey, listen, we want you to worship God. Like if you know anything about the God of the Bible, he doesn't, he doesn't like his affection and his worship to be split between anybody. He's not like, hey, you can worship me and you can worship a bunch of other things. No, if you worship God, you worship God and God alone. And so these people were being changed. Their lives were being changed. They were no longer worshiping the same idols that they worshiped before. It was hurting the business of them. It, it, was, it was hurting the temple and everything else there. And they were upset because their prosperity was being affected. And so what the Bible says is they, they grabbed a couple of Paul's companions, traveling companions, and they marched them, them into that, that 25,000 person theater. And, they, and they're trying to, 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 to make a public display of them at the time. And the whole time they're saying, our God, Artemis, long live Artemis. Our God, Artemis is the only real God. And they're screaming this over and over again. And it's this big, like chaotic, weird scene that's going on at the time. And Paul wants to go in there and his disciples are like, no, you can't go in there. They're gonna kill you if you go in there. They're mad at you. Like this is all because of, of you. And so he, he eventually, after staying for those two to three years, he eventually leaves Ephesus. He leaves to go to, to visit some of the churches that he had helped plant, the cities that he had helped to start churches in. And he goes and does that. And then on his way back, he was heading back to Jerusalem one final time. He stops at an island right outside of, of Ephesus. And when he's on this island, he calls for the leaders and the elders of this church in Ephesus that he had planted. He calls for them and, and he says, We're gonna, I, I wanna talk with you. Essentially, he wanted to say goodbye to them because he knew that his time was was running up. He knew that, um, that as he headed back to Jerusalem, he had just kept having these visions and dreams that he was going to be in prison in chains. So he, he knew that's what awaited him when he went back to Jerusalem. So he essentially wanted to say goodbye, wanted to give them some final instructions. I mean, he had invested three years with this, this group of people. He cared deeply about the church in Ephesus and all of the churches that were started from this church. So he says goodbye, he heads back to Jerusalem and what he thought was gonna happen is exactly what happened. He was arrested. He was put in prison first in this area called Caesarea. He was there for a few years, but Paul was a Roman citizen. So he appealed to Rome, which was something that only Roman citizens could do. 
He appealed to Rome to be heard in front of the emperor and they take him to Rome. He travels to Rome by boat and then he's in prison in Rome. It was more of a house arrest. From AD 61 to AD 63, he's in this prison, in this house arrest in Rome. Now during this time, he's able to have visitors. It's not like, uh, like this high security thing. He's basically chained to a, a Roman officer all day in this house which must have been torture for that Roman officer because Paul was probably just preaching the entire time. He's chained to this officer and people come visiting him as he's under house arrest and different leaders from different churches come to visit him and he's talking to them, meeting with them, hearing about all the different challenges that are taking place in these churches. And during this time, he writes letters to these churches, encouraging them, trying to deal with the things that were broken, the, the things that were off, the false teaching that maybe was seeping into some of these churches. And so he writes four letters that we have in our, in our Bible during this time while he was in prison. Can you imagine that for a second? He's under house arrest for the gospel and he's still worshiping and living for Christ. Some of us will be like, I did all this and this is what I get for you, God, I'm done. That's not what he's doing. He continues to serve God, continues to love God, continues to invest in the churches, even if it's from afar. He writes four letters that we call the prison epistles. He writes the letter to the church in Philippians. He writes Colossians, Philemon, and this letter that we're gonna look at over the next 13 weeks, the letter to the church of Ephesus. This was almost 10 years after the church was initially started. Almost 10 years later, he's writing to them to address some of the issues, to re-explain the gospel to them and how the gospel should impact their lives. And the letter starts like this, and I'm only gonna look at three verses in all of Ephesians today. The first two are this, Ephesians 1, 1 through 2, this is what it says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will, to the faithful saints of church in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts off this letter to the church in Ephesus by restating his authority. By, by restating, in case the people there did not know who he was, in case they did not remember that he was the one who, who helped plant that church, that he was apostle, which means he was sent by God. He was God's messenger at that time to that, to that city. He had spent years of his life there investing in them, shepherding them, planting churches from them. He was reminding them of his leadership and his authority to write what he was about to write. He says also it's to the saints, right? The chosen ones, those, the believers, to the saints at Ephesus. Now, some manuscripts don't have the words at Ephesus. Some of the different manuscripts that they found at times. And the reason they believe that they didn't have those is because this letter was meant at times to be rewritten and passed around like a circular to all the other churches that were around Ephesus. So it was written specifically to the church in Ephesus. But if you read other letters of Paul, a lot of times there's personal details in there. He talks about different people that were a part of that church. There's not a lot of that in this letter because this letter was meant to be shared with all of the churches in Asia Minor that had started and been planted from there and it's also meant for us today. It's meant to impact us, to change us, to have an impact on our Christian walk as well. And so the book of Ephesians, uh, just to kind of break down this a little bit for you, the book of Ephesians can be broken down into two sections, right? Like it's, it's very easy to break it down into two kind of unique sections. The first half chapters one through three, they deal with what we should believe. Like that's the whole first three chapters are dealing with what we should believe. Clearly lays out the gospel, clearly teaches on doctrine and theology. The second half, chapters four through six, talk about not only what we should believe, but how we should behave in response to what we believe. 
There's a, a, a phrase there that, that is that transition point, right? There's a phrase that Paul often uses. That phrase is, therefore. At the end of the first three chapters, the next word that begins chapter four is, therefore. Because of what I just talked to you about, because of what I laid out for you in this first part of this, this is how it should impact your life. This is how you should behave, right? The first half is doctrinal, the second half is practical. And this is a really, really important order. Like it's really, really important that he, that he put in that order because that order is important because the way we act should flow from what we believe, not the other way around. Like some of us, we focus so much on our behavior, behavior modification, just doing the right things, but it's not based on what we believe. The reality is what we believe should impact how we behave. Like what you believe, knowing who you are, should determine what you do and how you live. Come on, how many of you understand that? Like knowing who you are, your identity in Christ, who he's called you to be, should impact the way that you live your life, the choices that you make, the decisions that you make. How you live should flow from the beliefs that you have in your heart. Your actions should be an overflow of the transformation that the gospel has had in your life. That's the order that God has created. And so that's the order that Paul starts within this book. What you should believe, and then how those beliefs should impact your life. And so I wanna just share a couple quick themes that we're gonna hit on throughout this series. And there's many more we're gonna hit on as well, but I wanna kind of share a little bit of these before we close today. A couple different things we're gonna hit on uh, throughout this series that we're gonna see really broken down in the book of Ephesians. The first one, we're gonna talk about God's plan and purpose. Paul in the book, in the letter to the Ephesians, he portrays God as fulfilling his ultimate purpose for humanity's salvation and, and Christ's glorification. Like he lays out that, that Jesus coming to die on the cross, to overcome death, to rise again, all of that was part of God's plan from the beginning. It wasn't plan you know, C or B, it was always plan A. This was always the way that God was going to do things. And he shows us how this has worked out to, to bring about salvation for humanity and to bring about Christ's glorification. And he, and he shows us also how the church is part of that plan as well how the church, you as followers of Christ, how we fit into that plan, how we are part of that plan that God has orchestrated from the beginning of time. It's beautiful. Another thing he talks about is the exalted position of Christ. Ephesians, with, with utmost clarity, portrays Christ as all-powerful, a power that is unlimited, that Christ has conquered the grave, that he is exalted over all his enemies, that all spiritual beings of this world are defeated by Christ and under his control, that eventually he will bring all things, including time itself, to completion. He's the head of all things. What it talks about throughout this is he's especially the head of his church. He's in charge. The church is built on him through him. Another thing he talks about is the status of believers in Christ. That phrase in Christ is a really, really important phrase that you're gonna see throughout the book of Ephesians. Over 30 times this phrase or a version of this phrase is used throughout the book of Ephesians. What does it mean to be in Christ? Everything is found in Christ. Everything is built on the foundation of Christ. Your salvation is founded in Christ. Your purpose rooted in Christ. Your fulfillment in life centered on Christ. Your destiny, your eternal future anchored in Christ. It's a constant theme we're gonna see and explore all throughout this book of the Bible. Number one, number four, he actually talks about racial reconciliation in Christ. And what does the gospel say about racial reconciliation? One of the major issues that the church in Ephesus was dealing with at that time was there was disunity. 
There was disunity between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and the Jewish Christians treated the Gentile Christians as second-class Christians, second-class citizens, because they weren't part of the original promise, and the Gentiles kind of had disdain for the Jewish Christians, and there was this deep-rooted hatred and, and racial division that took place between these groups of people. And so Paul shows us that through the, the cross of Christ, Jesus brought together all different races and nations and made them one. Paul declares that through his death and resurrection, Christ has brought reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. In fact, he's pictured it as tearing down every single thing that is between different people, barriers that stands between any believer of any people in Christ. Because of this, Paul repeatedly, he stresses the inclusiveness of the gospel, the unity that is supposed to be in the church, which we don't always see if we're honest. He talks about not only what that unity looks like, but how we should express that unity in, in our lives, in our interactions with each other, in our interactions with our, our families. All these different things are covered in the book of Ephesians. In the other words, he says, all redeemed people, regardless of their culture or their racial differences have equal access in Christ to God the Father. He delivers that in this book. Another one, number five, he talks about the purpose and the nature of the church. Paul talks a lot about the nature and the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ. Not only what we should believe, but how we should behave as his followers, as his representatives. The Bible, in the Bible and all throughout this book we're referred to as Christ's body that Christ is the head of the body, but that we are part of the body. Every single one of us has a part to play. We have spiritual gifts that God has given us that are to be used in the body of Christ. There's no such thing as, as lone ranger faith. Somebody like, it's just my personal walk, it's my personal convictions. No, that's not the way it was created. That's not the way it's supposed to be. This is not something that you're supposed to, to do on your own and have on your own. You're supposed to enjoy a relationship with Christ in the context of community as part of a body, not just our body here, but the greater body of the church as well. And he's empowered you and equipped you with gifts, talents, and abilities that are to be used to serve each other, to see the mission of the church to continue to grow and to see God's power move. And he talks about what happens when the church walks in unity and they experience the, the power of God through that unity and the impact that they're able to make in the world around them through that. And so we're gonna talk about that as well. And then lastly, we're gonna see the final chapter of, of Ephesus really deals with spiritual warfare. And we've talked about this a little bit, but believers all over Asia Minor, for them, this was something very real that they were dealing with. Many of them were saved and delivered out of spiritual oppression. As we said, they were into magic and sorcery and all this other stuff. So many of them have had real, like, like, like demonic oppression and stuff was very real to them. They had experienced it in their lives. And a lot of them still had a little bit of fear and, and anxiety and they were a little bit, you know, didn't know what to do or what that meant that they were in Christ, what that looked like for them. And so Paul helps them understand the victory that is theirs in Christ. He talks to them about how they can experience victory in their spiritual battles, how they can walk in Christ's power. He, he emphasized the ultimate victory in Christ through the power of God, the victory of Christ, unity among believers, and putting on and using the, the spiritual armor, the protection that God has given us how we can walk in, in victory in our spiritual lives. And these and even more are things that we're going to really break down and really talk about over these next 12 weeks together. And so I wanna close with a story today um, that I think will hopefully emphasize and, and help us understand why this is so important and why I, I think we should do this. And so I, I want you to just kind of think about this. Our worship team is gonna come up in just a moment as well. And we're going to end with the time of, of worship and prayer. But 
I heard a story about a, about a husband and wife who, who had saved up. They weren't real, real wealthy, so they saved up for like a dream vacation that they wanted to go on. I mean, they had scrimped and, and, and saved. They had pinched pennies and done everything else that they could do to save up for this dream vacation. They finally had enough money to buy this, this dream vacation. They bought this, this amazing cruise. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? Uh, like cruising is awesome especially if you're on a cruise with a bunch of senior citizens because it's just relaxing and they know all the ropes. They can answer all your questions. I say that from experience. And uh, they saved their money up for this cruise and they were super, super excited to go on this cruise. And the time came for them to, 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 to go on their, their dream vacation. And they realized that they had used so much of their money to get the tickets for this that they didn't really have enough money left for, for food. And so they decided, the wife, she decided that she was very creative and resourceful. And so before the cruise, they went out, they bought a bunch of lunch meat and cheese and bread and snack items and everything else. They were prepared. They were just excited to be on this cruise together that they had waited so long for. But every day of the cruise, every time it was mealtime, all the other people on the, the boat would would go into the dining hall and they would get all dressed up for the formal meals and they would go into the dining room and enjoy their, their steak dinners and, and their seafood, their lobster and all this other, and these desserts. Come on, have you been on that? You know, there's desserts. They give you like a full five course meal at every meal on a cruise. And if you want another one, they'll give you another full five course meal. You go on a cruise, you lose five pounds before because you know you're gonna gain 10 on it. That's the way it works. And, and these meals are amazing. And they see these people going in there enjoying, all dressed up, enjoying these meals. And every Every single day, this, this couple, when it's time for the meals, they kind of sneak off to their room and, and they prepare their meals. And the captain notices one day that, that they're doing this and he's wondering what they're, what they're doing. Why are, they, why are they skipping out on the meals? Like, why are they, is there something wrong with the meals? Like, what's going on at this time? And so the captain approaches them and kind of pulls them aside and is like, why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you, you know, making sandwiches every day? Why aren't you enjoying the dining room with all the rest of the, the people on this cruise? What's going on? Is there something wrong? And, and they were a little bit you know, subconscious about their answer. They were a little bit embarrassed, but they, they looked at them and says, we, we, just, we used all of our money just to get on the boat. We didn't have, we don't have enough money for the meals. And so we just wanted to enjoy the time on the boat, but we didn't want to be a bother. So we just kind of went over here and did our thing. And the captain looked at them and he was just shocked at their answer. And he's like, show me, show me your tickets. They pulled out their tickets and he showed them on their tickets. He's like, this is all inclusive. Like this is all, everything is included with your tickets. This is not like another vacation where you have to go and you have to you know, buy at the restaurants and things like that. Everything is included with this, all the food. Like you've been missing out this whole, this whole week on all of these meals because you didn't understand what was available to you. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we do the same thing. I think a lot of times we, we settle for less than God's best. We miss out on less than God's best. We miss out on the promises and the privilege of, of being found in Christ because we don't understand what's available to us. We don't understand what it fully means to be in Christ. We, we, don't, like we, we have very surface level faith and we don't go deep enough to understand what the promises and the privilege that, that comes with being in Christ, united to Christ. In Ephesians chapter one, verse three, and if you wanna stand with me as we close today, Ephesians one through three, he says it like this. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. You are blessed when you are in Christ with every 
spiritual blessing. Like that is a deep, deep thing we have to start to understand. What does that mean? The Bible says you are blessed with forgiveness. That if you're in Christ, you have been adopted into his family. He's brought you in. He's chosen you. He's picked you out to save you, to redeem you. He's forgiven you for your sins. When you're in Christ, you have a new purpose. When you're in Christ, you don't have to wonder what your purpose is. You don't have to wonder what your identity is. You don't have to wonder what God's will is for your life. You have a new purpose, new identity in Christ. The Bible says when you're in Christ, you are adopted in and you are a child of God. You're an heir of God. And because you're an heir, that means you have an inheritance. All of that and much more we're gonna discover during this series are the promises, the spiritual blessings of being in Christ. And my prayer is, and I, and I think a lot of the reason that, that Paul wrote this letter to the church is because these Christians were, were settling for, for lives that were below the privilege that they have been purchased for. They were settling for, for lives that were not as impactful as God had, had desired for them to have. They had, they had missed some of the depth of God's love, the depth of the riches of the relationship that he wanted to have with them. And they were living below their privilege and below the promises of God. And he didn't want that for them. And we don't want that for you either. We want you as followers of Christ to understand just how much God loves you. We want you to understand just what he has done for you. We want you to understand what it means to be united with Christ, to be in Christ, to experience the riches the fullness of the promises and the privilege of, of Christ. And as I said, I know this morning's a little bit different than how we normally do, but I hope, I hope that what we talk about today will help you have a better understanding of where we're going. So when you're here over these next 12 weeks, every single week, it would just kind of build off of the last week and you will be challenged to continue to grow into the fullness of Christ's love. That, that every single one of us in this church, that we would not settle for just good when the Bible says that God wants to do immeasurably more in us and through us. Immeasurably more than, listen, anything you can hope, dream, or imagine according to his power that's at work in you, according to his power that's working through you. Come on, how many of you understand? How many of you would say you want to experience the fullness of what God wants to do in your life? Like you don't want to settle for just average going through the motions. I go to church, I check the box every single week, just go through the motions, repeat, repeat, repeat. That is settling for way less than God's best. And settling for way less than what God wants to do in and through your life. And so would you pray with me as we close today? And make it your prayer in your own words. God, I want you to speak to me over these next few weeks. I want you to change me. I want you to show me anything I'm missing, anything where I'm, any areas where I'm settling for less than your best. I don't wanna go through life and miss out on what you have for me, God, because I'm just going through the motions. So Father God, today, I thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for what you're gonna do in our lives over these next 12 weeks. God, I thank you for what you're gonna do in our church over these next 12 weeks. God, I thank you that you're going to speak to us. You're going to challenge us. You're going to change us. You're going to equip us. We're going to leave every single week empowered to, to understand who we are and what we should do in response to who we are, God. That every single week we would understand our identity in you. That we would not walk around confused, but we would know who you created us to be, who you saved us to be. And that knowledge of who we are in you would empower every action we do in our life. Everything we do would flow from who we are. And we thank you for that, Jesus. In your name we pray.